As 2023 draws to an end, it's time for our annual review of the year. And to help us to do this, we're joined by Tariq Malik and Rod Pyle of the This Week in Space podcast. We love a bit of cross-pollination. <laughs> That's beautiful. We love to know your highlights from 2023. Let us know via our social media pages at Space and Things Podcast on Threads, Instagram, and Facebook, or via the contact form on our website. And please consider joining us over at patreon.com forward slash space and things. But right now, it's time for episode 173 of the Space and Things podcast. Listening to the Space and Things Podcast, Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 173 of our podcast. How are you doing, Emily? Good, good, good. Uh, as we're taping the podcast, we're getting ready for the Christmas holiday season and other holidays, so I'm pretty excited. I'm I'm going to Disney World this week, the Magic Kingdom for their Amazing. for the Mickey's Christmas party. So if anybody sees me crying wearing a Mickey hat, just just leave me alone. I'm enjoying <laughs> myself. But yeah, I'm good. How are you, Dave? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, it's very busy. A musician at Christmas. Yep. It's a busy time. So bit bit of a delicate throat, as you might be able to hear this week. But uh, get getting through the work, which is which is wonderful, and it's um, they're all good time. Christmas parties are fun to to be able to play music for people at their Christmas parties is always fun. Anyway, it's time for our 2023 end of year review. And this week, we're joined by Tariq Malik and Rod Pyle, who host the This Week in Space podcast, which is truly wonderful. Uh, it covers the new space age, and every Friday, they take a deep dive into a fascinating topic. For example, what's happening with the new race to the moon and other planets? Or will SpaceX really send people to Mars? Rod Pyle is an author, journalist, television producer, and editor-in-chief of Ad Astra magazine, which I'm sure some of our listeners may already have a subscription. He has written 18 books on space history, exploration, and development, including Space 2.0, Innovation the NASA Way, Interplanetary Robots, Blueprint for a Battlestar, Amazing Stories of the Space Age, First on the Moon, and Destination Mars. Yeah, I got a few of them in my collection behind me, that's for sure. Me too, me too, me too. I got several of them. Tariq Malik has been editor-in-chief of Space.com since 2019 and has covered space news and science for 18 years. He joined the Space.com team in 2001, first as an intern and soon after as a full-time spaceflight reporter covering human spaceflight, exploration, astronomy and the night sky. He became Space.com's managing editor in 2009 uh, and as an on-air talent, he has presented space stories on CNN, Fox News, NPR, and others. So this is a pretty impressive duo to be talking to about what's happened this year in spaceflight. So without any more gilding the lily, let's crack on. Every single place in the observable universe is either space or a thing. So this podcast is really about everything. Thank you so much for joining us. For our end of the year review. So where do we start here? Uh, Tariq, as the editor of Space.com, you must be privy to all the analytics and data about which stories have had the most hit. So 
What's the story which seems to have generated the most amount of interest this year? Well, the I think the and Emily, it's great to, to see you again. So I should say thank you for having us. Thank on. you. <laughs> so, Absolutely, thank you. This is probably going to sound expected, but the, one of the biggest uh, we had we had two kind of really big things this year. But the biggest by far was Starship's launches, mm-hmm. both in April and then again in November. I mean, uh, November alone, you know, just blew us out of the water. How many people tuned in for that and. And I had the pleasure of being able to go and see the first launch back in April oh, you know, wow. in person. And it was absolutely spectacular uh, to see the response to that. And I think a lot of that is because it's a new rocket. It's shiny. There's a lot of cachet <laughs> that comes with SpaceX and with Elon Musk, too. But the rocket itself just looks like it's fully out of sci-fi with its fins. And of course, it's the world's biggest rocket. It's the world's most powerful rocket. There is no comparison and they managed to get a little bit farther and a little bit closer to space. Uh, actually, they, they reached space on that that second flight officially. Uh, they just didn't reach their destination. And I think that that is probably going to be one of the big leading stories going into 2024 as well to see how far that program itself goes. But I mean, that, in terms of space flight, that was the story of the year, those missions themselves. So Now, Tarek, I have to say you're being modest because... What you're not saying is that one of your biggest stories is when you put on your Dr. Clickbait mode and write things about the super wormwood blood hunter scavenger snake moon. (laughs) We know those stories do really well. Our most popular feature is always when is the next full moon. So I kind of take that as a given and I pick like the next best thing. I was very surprised when I found that out, but people, they enjoy it. And the moon is very easy to see in the night sky. So people start looking for it. Uh, when they notice how bright it is. That's given me a weird sense of hope, knowing yeah. that that is the uh, most, well, one of your most popular stories. There's something really great about that, isn't there? It is. And, you know, there there are these, like, there's lunar eclipses. There's, the, of course, there's a great solar eclipse in mm-hmm. October of this of, of 2023 uh, across the United States, this, this, like, ring of fire thing. And people got captivated to watch the moon block the sun there. But even when there's, like, a super dinky, lunar eclipse uh people still get really excited about it especially if they have a chance to to see it uh for their for their own selves you know those are the easiest things to see in the uh in the night sky when when they're in your hemisphere because everyone gets to see it so and there's there's going to be some of those in 2024 too that we can look forward to but the april 8th 2024 solar eclipse is the big deal and that's what we practiced for this year in 2023 with the the october uh event itself too so Absolutely. Rod, I'd love your opinion, if that's okay, on, on what SpaceX are doing at the moment. Obviously, you've written extensively about the next generation of space. What what do you feel about how they're going about making Starship a thing? So uh, before I answer that, I just want to congratulate you guys on, I think this is episode 173. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> so we're just scraping towards 100 if you include our beta episodes and we know how much work it is, so that's <laughs> off to you. And we have a Thank we you. have a TD that does that does the board stuff that you're doing, so we didn't have, even have to do that. And Emily, congratulations on fifty thousand. Can you hear it, Harbor? Fifty thousand people <laughs> in space hipsters. That's thank uh, you. Quite an achievement in twelve years, thirteen years. I think twelve years, almost thirteen. Yeah, uh, almost thirteen. Wow. That's, I can't even believe it's been almost 13. And you want to talk about it. Hope, Dave, the fact that, that there are that many dedicated people that, you know, all have kind of the same core belief in our future in space is always really exciting and heartening, I think, yeah. to take. 
It is. Although I could twist it, that because they've recently posted how many people they've blocked. And I think it's about 30,000. So. Oh. Yeah, I mean, we've gotten a few people. I don't want to get too into it. The, the, you know, the porno people and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. We've gotten a little bit of that. will but make you rich. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That kind of stuff. So we've had to do a few blocks here and there. But I mean, 50,000, le- these are legit people. So we're we're pretty happy about that. And Tark, they haven't blocked you yet, so I consider that an achievement. So, <laughs> in, in answer to your question, and, and thank you for asking it, um, you know, I, I I started off the previous decade as an Elon fanboy. I'll, I have to confess, starting right up with you know the launch of Falcon One, I thought, okay, this is remarkable. I'm old enough to remember. Uh, sad to say, old enough to remember not just the Apollo era, but all those old black and white 50s movies where the crazy guy with the wild hair and some uh, uh, disgraced lieutenant colonel went off to their garage workshop to build a moon rocket, because how hard could it be? And then here comes this guy that kind of got some friends <laughs> together in two, 2002 and scraped together some money and said, I'm going to build a rocket. And everybody said, sure. So to watch this progress, I mean, not only did they come within this just you know a hair of going out of business had it not been for largely steve jervitz and bringing up money in 2008 the stuff they've gone through watching all those rockets fall over and burn when they were trying to perfect the recovery system and then watching elon when he decided he wanted to fly for the air force and it went to the air force and said i want to fly our satellites and they said that's nice kid come back to this <laughs> when you grow up so what did he do to his next best customer he sued him and i thought well that's that's you know you're, that's you're leaving out the part where they let him lease uh, a launch pad at Vandenberg and then told him that he couldn't launch yeah, their right. stuff from there. So <laughs> well, because so. that's money in versus money out, you see. So yeah. that makes sense. But today, you know, it's so complicated. I'm sure you guys have talked about it ad nauseum, but we talk about it on our show quite a bit because we're on the Twit Network, which is mostly tech podcast, so they talk about Elon endlessly. You know, he's taken such a turn in the last handful of years, both politically, socially, maybe a hair sociopathically. And it's hard to to subscribe the idea that he supports the mission in the same way that he did. And I find mm-hmm. that a little disconcerting. I mean, if he hadn't taken his eye off the ball and gone after Twitter and all this other, what I consider to be kind of counterproductive nonsense, but I'm sure he doesn't. Um you know, we'd have condos circling Saturn right now with a nice view of the ring. So that worries me a bit. So, so the test launches were, were inspirational, you know, first one went about as we would expect given their record of, of, Hey, let's shoot it up there and see what happens. And we'll pick up the pieces and look at the data and figure out how to fix it. Second one went a little bit better. It's good that he didn't scatter South Texas with concrete from his launch pad and all that. But, you know, we were supposed to land American astronauts on the moon in 2024. No, 2025. Uh, wait, maybe 2027 with Starship, yeah. lunar Starship. And I, I think, you know, I'm watching the Apollo program over again, except with private-public partnership. And by that, I mean, as a kid, I watched the lunar module be the foot behind the toboggan dragging down that whole lunar effort. I mean, they made it. It was a spectacular spacecraft, but it was late, late, late. And I think we're watching that again with Musk and probably with Blue Origin too. So I admire the man to death. I really respect the way they do business. Have you guys toured the um, SpaceX plant in Hawthorne perchance? Emily, surely you have. I have not. No. Oh, well, you no, got to go down there. Ne- neither have I. I think you're the only one, Rod. 
I'd love to someday. That would be cool. So you walk in there and here's this big glassy lobby and there's an espresso bar over here <laughs> and the brass trophy he got from the NSS and a plexiglass case over here <laughs> and a dragon capsule in front of you. And as you walk through it, it's like the General Motors of rockets. There's first stages, there's interstages, there's the dragon capsules in, a, in a, an air room over there that's, that's dustproof and so forth. But there's just pieces of rockets everywhere by the dozens. And there's people, there's ladders, there's people, you know, they're grinding away. I was looking at one guy that was up with the uh, interstage adapter between the first and second stage with a grinder, watching all these sparks go everywhere. And I looked at the engineer that was giving me the tour and I said, it, is that how you do mass reduction? Just like the Russians do? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah don't do any <laughs> of that. You know, we've got to grind out all these little triangles, at least not on that piece. So I just admire the hell out of that. I just want him to get on with it and stop getting distracted. Well, and I I'd say, I just add to that, that you don't have to go to Hawthorne and, and finagle your way in with the uh, the folks at SpaceX to, to just to see that pipeline. You can go to, to Boca Chica Beach uh, and drive, literally be, you know, uh, across the street from the world's tallest rocket. And on the way there, you will see not one or two, but like four or five of those giant boosters, um, Emily, Dave, uh, and, and four or five of the Starship vehicles wow. themselves just standing out there in waiting for their turn to fly. And so they've got this pipeline now. And this is from uh, a time, like like you mentioned, Rod, uh, back in 2002, where everyone, not just Elon Musk and SpaceX, everyone had their next big plan and their great big PowerPoint uh, presentation <laughs> for uh, for their yeah. crewed vehicle, for their reusable rocket, and not, none of that, hardly any of them actually panned out. And so I was very, I believe it when I see it at that point in time. And now you kind of have to say, okay, they're going to do it just on a different timeline because you see the hardware, you see the rockets coming back. In fact, uh, they just launched, uh, or they're getting ready to launch a, an Air Force, Space Force uh, spy plane, that, that X-37B, on a really super used Falcon Heavy rocket, I mean, you can it, it, you can see that, that the boosters uh, have 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 had uh, their time in the sun and and then some, uh, and you know they've they've got that track record now that you can if they say they're going to do it, you can probably bank that they will eventually get there. Well, can I just add one point to what you said? You know this this idea that here's this this parade of rockets standing next to where the Starship they just flew was not too mm -hmm. long ago. And that's something you just didn't see during the space race. But the other thing you didn't see during the space race, because we were kind of on a quasi war footing, certainly on a cold war, we're going to beat your, your high knee to the moon, you Russians, you uh, footing was you didn't see stuff like fish and game saying, you yeah. know, <laughs> that's you, know, you could, you could hurt the, the darting river smelt out there. The that's plovers. A, that's a, and believe me, I mean, I, I am all about the environment. And I feel very sort of uh, two-faced saying this, but, you know, there's got to be a limit to what kind of constraints you put on this guy. He has become part of not just the fabric of U.S. national security, but of the U.S. economy. He's a big piece of it, and certainly for our space efforts. And to put these kind of clamps on him saying, you're going to hurt some ducks when that rocket blows up. And I'm being a little glib here, but they, they got to loosen the valves or we're just not going to get where we want to go. It it is important though, just to divest Elon Musk, him, the person from SpaceX, the company. Yeah, I mean he is, you know, he's the CEO and he's yeah. the founder. Um, but they're not the same thing. Uh, so I just right. I want to make well, make Gwen sure that Shotwell gets major. She major gets everything done. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, if you've ever had her on this podcast, she's, she's a remarkable interview, you know, for his, for every aspirational thing that Elon says in the talk, Gwen will tell you the nuts and bolts of here's what we're going to do. Here's how going to do it. Here's how many rivets it takes. There's two guys over there. Wait, get back to work. And she's, <laughs> she's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So we've gotten through one question. Yeah, so, no, it's, all, it's all good. This is what happens when you no, got no, us in I the love same it. room. I love it. I, I found that really interesting, what you were just saying about, about Elon, and, and we've got to be careful how many constraints we put on it. I think the thing I find frustrating is that some of this was so obvious. How, how did he not think this is going to come up? Yeah. It, it, it's that whole... Does he feel like he's above the law now? Does he feel like he can just do anything? And and to an extent, I don't. No, I don't want there to be one person who feels like they can just do whatever they want. So I'm quite happy in some regards with them just poking him a little bit and saying, "Oh, you, no." Well, just a little it, it, bit. I agree. There's got to be a line. There's, you know, yeah. When you when we're trying to do something as experimental as this and as incredible and it's. As I've said this many times, it's going to save the world. You know, this is a, a really important rocket. So, yeah, let's let's do it. But at the same time, some of it, like the concrete blowing up over, on that first <laughs> yeah. launch, I mean, that's just, it was so obvious. Well, let's not forget, you know, you're dealing with the rebellious colonies here, right? I mean, you live <laughs> in a civilized country, and we do things like this. And, you know, I really feel like he's channeling the robber barons. You know, if you ever read the book, The Robber Barons, I mean, he is he and, and, and Bezos in his way, and a number of other of these guys are really kind of walking down that path. They're saying, "Well, it's got to get done." These codes, are, hey, laws are one thing, but civil codes and and things like uh, fish and, and game and others, you know, they're regulations. And regulations are, you know, if laws are like bear traps, regulations are kind of like tying your shoelaces together for these guys. <laughs> Because laws can, if you break laws, you can go to jail. Yeah. If you break regulations, they shake their finger and fine you. Well, but how much can they fine him that it's going to hurt? But, yeah, but we are we are in like a new era, Rod. I mean, because this is like all of this stuff is like brand new, right? This whole model for 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 space exploration. No, the only thing I want to bring up to this is is because yes, yes, the FAA, yes, uh, uh, Fish and Wildlife are kind of like in it uh, for these 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 launch um, regulations for these private space flights, but. Uh, I think there is a growing appreciation or acknowledgement that they, some things need to to change. In fact, Pam Melroy, deputy administrator and space shuttle commander, was in a Senate hearing this week as we were recording, where she said that they, you know, NASA does have to give these other agencies uh, some notice that what they're doing is priority for uh, for the, for the country, and that they need to take that into account when they're going through this regulation. So I think. Things are going to change uh, in the in the near future, and it's always Dave. To your point earlier, it's easier to ask forgiveness when yeah, you're doing something brand new than, than it is to ask for permission. And I think that's where a lot of that that other stuff came from. So, so, yeah. so can I just say I, I want to make a boomer point here, if I might. <laughs> at twenty in twenty fourteen, when they did that first test flight of the Orion, I was over at JPL because I was working there at the time for the launch and the flight. And uh, we had this this debrief afterwards. And no, I guess it was actually I was there for the for the launch of the flight, but I was also there later. That was it. And uh, the guy that ran the heat shield end of the program was there. So I went up to him after his talk, and I said, "Can I ask you some questions?" I said, "Sure." And I said, "So, 
what's the deal with the heat shield? He said, well, we had some unexpected damage and blah, blah, blah. And he kind of, you know, he sort of threaded through the question without really answering it in a way. And I said, what changed between, I mean, you've done this dozens of times, you know, and Apollo came screaming back at 25,000 miles an hour faster than that one did. And you're trying to send this to the moon. What happened? And he kind of did one of these, you know, looking over each shoulder. And he said, it's the 21st century. Environmentalism caught up with us. Said, do you remember Krylon spray paint when you were young and you used to spray it on something and it dried hard as titanium in about two minutes? And I said, yeah. He said, for the same reason you can't do that anymore, we can't use those kind of chemicals, the heat shield. I said, wait a minute. It's not like you're going out, you know, in your backyard in the middle of Chicago and painting this toxic stuff on there. Go out the Mojave Desert. I live near there. It's awful. You're not going to ruin anything. <laughs> Being a glib here again. And he said, we just can't. You know, we're a federal organization. We're NASA. And we have to obey every environmental rule there is. And they don't make exceptions. And I thought, that's extraordinary. It's progressive. And it's very short-sighted at the same time, I think. We should point out that they they launched from a national preserve too at Merritt Island. So when they've had the uh, there you go that yep. for decades. So absolutely. However, I'm going to throw a curveball in that, and, and maybe we don't Please. have time to answer that. But should we not expect NASA, and, and maybe this comes down to funding, to be leading the way in figuring out how to do it environmentally? Sure, just do it after you get back to the moon and beat the Chinese. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I well, say that. that the, I'm the, sorry, I, I, and I guess that's where, being a British person, I have a different perspective on it, right? Yeah. So, uh, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. You know, no, it's it's a really good point. You expect them to be on like the cutting edge, yeah, Dave. But we are here, where you know, in a place where NASA is now dependent on private companies because they couldn't get that stuff done yeah. fast enough. And cheap enough, you know, to, to be able yeah. to do it. So they are relying on the ingenuity of these commercial companies to do things better. I think there's probably going to be some kind of reckoning in the next few decades about the large reliance on methane for these next generation um, of vehicles. Because, yes, it has more uh, more thrust, more propulsion, more, more performance uh, uh, going on. But they're going to be launching a lot of these giant, giant rockets. And there has just been in the recent, the last, actually this year, there were several studies about the impact of, of that increased uh, launch capacity on, on the environment. And so it, you'll, you will see a higher uptick in that. There's a company in Maine, uh, Blue Shift. Blue Shift. Yeah. We, we've, we've, we spoke yep. to them. They're great. Yeah. They, they've got a novel, you know, bio, biofuel based uh, uh, propellant. And it wouldn't surprise me if companies like that, uh, become more common for the most often launched types of payloads. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let, let's let's change tack a little bit here. So I th- I think that if you'd said to me at the start of the year, what's going to be the biggest story of 2023, I think I would have said Starship. I think that we knew that was coming up. Uh, we knew those test launches would happen. So was there a story which has come out of nowhere, which has actually caught the public's attention, other than Full Moons? <laughs> well, there was... There was um there was the the asteroid Bennu sample return in September, you know, with the Osiris yeah. Rex mission. I think we Oops. that was another one. <laughs> no, we knew we knew that that was coming, and we've seen sample return types of missions before. But I found that mission to be a lot more of a redemption story for NASA's sample return efforts than um, uh, than in the past, because we've had the same similar trajectory as like the Genesis 
mission, uh, which uh, was a, a mission to collect. I think that was that was the solar wind one. And of course, their parachute failed and it crashed into a pancake in the Utah desert. And Osiris Rex, they, you know, NASA was really worried that they hadn't collected any samples at all. Uh, and it turns out that they can't. They they got so much that that it, that it, it gobbled up the the works initially, and they had to get the the hatch closed on their sample return. And it went so well. And that was another big day. Emily, you asked about big days uh, for space.com. I was surprised how many people were interested in that. And then, as Rod teased earlier, you get not just the big drama of this return from uh, from the primordial solar system, these samples uh, to give us the glimpse of those beginnings of our of our our, our whole neighborhood. But you, you get the fact that they've got they've got all the samples outside the container and that's what they're using now because they can't open it. And it's been months and they still can't <laughs> open it. So maybe they're saving it for Christmas. Emily. Uh, maybe, oh, maybe, please. maybe, maybe they're going to, they basically these, these, these latches, these bolts are stuck and they're so worried that they're going to, you know, if they shear them off, they're going to contaminate the samples. They have to build new tools to actually open them up and they haven't done it yet. And so we're waiting for them to to give us an idea of what those tools are and how that's going. It's just going to take that's time. That's nuts. Yeah. And so so it's like a it's like coffee mug full of material. It's the most asteroid material ever collected, right? And it's just sitting yeah. there in this metal casket while waiting for these tools so they can open it up. Meanwhile, they've got all this extra stuff just like on top that they've been able to do science on, <laughs> and that's already dropping their jaws. They they gave um. Uh, a big talk at the American Geophysical Union uh, also uh, uh, over the last week and a half where they said that they're finding stuff they they totally weren't expecting to, you know, uh, hints of water, hints of organic molecules, all of that stuff that uh, that is just in there. And so there's more locked in that sample and it's going to be feeding scientists for decades, I think. Fantastic. All right. So on the flip side of that, is there a story uh, that you think was huge, but just did not gather the attention of the public, maybe as you thought it should. I was fascinated just in the last few days by the laser laser data link uh, experiments. So within the same week, I think, uh, there was an experiment from the space station to a satellite doing uh, data transfer by laser, and then one from the Psyche probe back to Mount Palomar, of all places, also with, uh, with laser communications, which transmitted back an image of an orange tabby cat. Not an image, video. The video is the cat video. Taters, Taters the cat. (laughs) Taters the cat, yeah. Oh, there it goes. Clickbait again. And and I thought, Emily, this must be one that appeals to you because it's got cats in it, for God's sakes. I was going to discuss Taters a little more in this podcast. I'm I'm the number one Taters fan right now, okay? Taters is like my boy. I think Taters... Taters is the one who saved 2023, in my opinion. He's our, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's our Apollo 8 for 2023. I'm kidding. No, but kind of, you know, I mean, when you think about, so there's been a lot of great stories this year, but the ramifications of this, you're talking about a 10 to 100 times boost in bandwidth for data coming back because it's infrared and, you know, it's just like more compressed data, I guess, or or more denser data, let's put it that way. And the idea that something, you know, out by Uranus, I mean, we we got some great images back the other day from the, the James Webb Space Telescope. But I mean, imagine with that kind of bandwidth, you know, you still have the delay. You can't do anything about that. But the amount of data you get back from something out there quickly, let's say you're doing a flyby. This 
would completely revolutionize the kind of work that something like New Horizons did. We were kind of squirting back these yeah. little bits of data for the next year. So I thought that was a pretty exciting story. Yeah, and there's it comes on the heels of, an, of another laser communications uh, experiment that NASA is also doing with, with the International Space Station too. And and I think that if we're going to be serious about these long term exploration plans for the Moon, for the Mars, with that with for for the Mars. As if it's like a, a capital the right no, um, you you want that way to beam your your signals back your video back um, because that's what people enjoy seeing. I think that the, in the last few years we've seen this huge uptick in in interest uh, in space exploration because it's so much easier for people to access it now, and that will be very yeah. important to keep that going in the future. And the more you can include cats <laughs> in all of this stuff, I think the better it is. For all of us, you know, they, there's actually there's a, a a feature in the rings of Saturn called kittens, and the scientists named the, each of the features after their own cats, which I think <laughs> is hilarious, right? But it's something that's really accessible. So they're doing this cutting edge science, this cutting edge technology stuff, but they're make they're they're using cat videos, and everyone will watch a cat video, you know, and then they'll learn about laser communication at the same time. So. Leave it to Tark to take it to the streets. That's uh, yeah. I love that. And, you know, you reminded me when you were talking about this naming thing. Emily and, and Dave, do you remember uh, Pathfinder very well? The, the Mars Pathfinder mission? Yeah. So when Sojourner was out there taking his pictures, you know, the guys in the control room up at JPL are like, oh, let's call that Rock Scooby-Doo. Oh, let's call that one Pluto. <laughs> oh, let's call that one Donald Duck. And they were pulling from popular culture, Disney, you name it, just whatever came into their minds. Which I thought was great because it got people excited and it got people engaged. And then, of course, within a few years, I presume NASA's legal department comes along and says, you can't use copyrighted names, guys. We're going to get in trouble. <laughs> Which, honestly, I remember when Disney sued a preschool in, in your home state of Florida, Emily, for having a mural. Do you remember this? Somebody painted yeah. a mural that looked like Disney characters and Disney's wow. like, we're going to shut you down. Very but much a black eye for the corporation. It's hard to see them going up against nasa for that but so now we have you know whether it's perseverance or curiosity they name the features and this is so caltech which is you know caltech runs jbl <laughs> this is so caltech i know we'll name the cool stuff on mars after significant geology sites in canada that'll get people excited oh my god <laughs> uh, you know you kind of missed J, jpl is usually really good at pr but they kind of missed it on that one i think well, if you're in Canada, you'd be I was gonna say who doesn't love Canada? <laughs> if you're Canadian, yeah. I love Canada. I like Canada, but really, you know, look, it's Yellowknife. How cool is that? Yeah, I yeah, yeah it doesn't have the same kind of feeling as like Donald Duck or right. anything Yogi, like that. Yogi right. Rock was the big the big popular one that I remember back from Pathfinder. Yeah. So. That's funny. All right. Sorry, that was you a little know, bit of a rant there, I I confess. No, it's okay. I had one thing that to what you you asked Emily about something that that is going on in the background that I maybe isn't getting a lot of fanfare, but there is a tug of war right now going on about the future of lunar exploration between uh you know NASA and its partners with the Artemis Accords, where they're recruiting a lot of these countries to sign on for the peaceful use of outer space and yada yada yada. And in the background, you have uh, a lot of other agreements between Russia and China and other countries and. They they have been slowly over time, and you just you hear it in piecemeal recruiting different countries uh, for their their kind of separate uh, their separate efforts, and it's just a kind of an interesting thing that I think we should all be following because it's it's not a problem 
until it is a problem. Right. Yeah. And, and you, I just want to make sure that like the folks that are in charge are paying attention to that kind of thing. Um, because eventually these agreements will get to a point where they yield physical missions, you know, Artemis is still brand new and whatnot, but there will be multiple countries landing in different parts of the moon, uh, you know, with their own goals and their own missions and their own ambitions. And you don't want to see what happened at the end of the space shuttle program when NASA told, you know, Congress that they the, the program is going to end and we need to have this money so that we have no gap. And then no one, you know, makes decisions. And then at the end of it, you end up with like an eight year gap and you don't have anything going on in, in the meantime. And everyone, by the, by the time that the last space shuttle flies, is throwing their arms up about how could this happen when they, they were told five, ten, you know, six years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and let's be specific. It was Congress looking at each other and NASA saying, how could you let this happen? That's right. That's to right. Which I hope the and then administrator said, excuse me. I just think it's really important that people <laughs> should be thinking about that stuff because it's not happening, yeah. you know, overnight. It's happening out in drips and drabs. And so it's just important to take note. Yeah. It's, it surprised me how slowly momentum has built on the Artemis Accords. It was launched, what, three, nearly three years ago now? Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and, and there's only 30-odd countries now signed up. We're up to 33, but that's a lot. It is. A, I think it's a lot compared, compared I mean, to... I mean, because the, 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 the Sino-Russian agreement, I think they have maybe four or five, but they're not... At last I checked, anyway, they weren't officially announcing them. But I wanted to add something to Tarek's comment. Excuse me for interrupting, but it leaks into that. You know, there's another concern. So I just wrote this this chapter for somebody else's book for a change on <laughs> internationalism and space. And contrary to what Tarek probably thinks of the way I rant about, it's the space race over again. We got to get back to the moon first. It's it's about, you know, how do you accommodate internationalism in space? But there's a lot of concern. If you read the papers that people are putting out, there's uh, this growing concern that whoever reaches the presumably resource-rich regions of the moon, you probably had people talking about this on your show, uh, first get to set the norms. And mm. we have our point of view, and the Eastern Hemisphere has this point of view, and they don't mesh very well. you know. And interestingly, in some ways, China and Russia are kind of observing what you might consider to be the, spo the soul of the 1967 Outer Space uh, Treaty a little more than we are because we're trying to sort of twist that towards being able to commercialize things because, you know, we're America and it's a capitalist society. So it, it, it's kind of, you know, there's a little bit of discomfort there, but there's also a lot of concern about the geopolitical nature of this. And that all feels very familiar too. It, it's not just countries too. The first private company that lands there, grabs a rock and brings it back is going to say, Hey, look what I can do. And you know, we're going to have to deal with that too. So. Absolutely. And this all reminds me far too much of season two of For All Mankind, which I think leads <laughs> us nicely onto our next question, Emily. Yes, it certainly does. So do you have a favorite book, documentary or film or even television show that's come out in the last uh, 12 months or so? I got lots. All my I mean, stuff's <laughs> older. I, mean, I, I got lots. Before you said the last 12 months, I was going to say, oh, hands down, the, the IMAX production the dream is alive because <laughs> yeah. that that still squeezes a tear out of one eye on me when i see it it's still good i saw it in the well, i god i'm aging myself right now i saw it in the theater a uh, long time ago when i was real little i saw it as an adult okay when it first <laughs> came out so cry me a river yeah, yeah i saw okay. it in <laughs> i saw it in the the imax theater ksc a long time ago and when i yeah when i one of my first trips to kennedy space center and it was freaking 
awesome in IMAX. Oh, yeah. I wish they would re-release mm-hmm. it in IMAX. That first launch with no countdown audio. You were yep. just here in nature and the birds and you see the alligator sort of swimming by. And then suddenly the shuttle just lights up. And I remember sitting there sitting with tears streaming down my face. <laughs> yep. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And my, my then girlfriend looked at me like I was nuts. Gosh, for the last yeah. 12 months, Tark, what do you think? Well, I mean, Dave mentioned it. I've been binging the le- the uh, current season of For All Mankind. Uh, and it's just, I mean, when you get to the end, you start at the beginning again. And uh, from yeah. just the, the idea of this alternate reality where the space race is still going on, but now, you know, there's private companies involved. I mean, it is really interesting. And I don't think it's a spoiler because the trailer is out there for the current season of For All Mankind. They're trying to capture an asteroid. And there's a lot of flashbacks between uh, uh, the sci-fi show and the what became the asteroid redirect mission, you know, at, at NASA that I, I've got a lot of feels for because I was super excited about that mission when they were going to go out to the asteroid. And they were going to go, go to it, right? Yeah, yeah, and pick one. And then it ends up that they get like a small robot that gets a small rock and brings it back. And I thought it was the boringest way ever to, to get a yeah. piece of an asteroid. But, but the Murderbot series, Emily, is a excellent book series. And some of them are really short novellas. And uh, and the reason I bring that one up is because a new one is coming out uh, in that in that series. It's mm-hmm. Murderbot, all one word. And it's, it's, it's a... Um, Story about a, a an old kind of cyborg who used to be, you know, they're like rented out as security units or, or assassins or whatnot. But this one is self-aware and just wants to watch its soap operas. And and <laughs> and yet it has to deal, you know, it's this deadly machine that has to protect uh, these colonists and these scientists on all these different missions. Its best friend is a starship named Art and uh, <laughs> and Art hates people and yet likes to explore space. And so uh, they get to up to all sorts of really weird and crazy hijinks and. And those books have been coming out steadily over the last like few years, and the newest one is is uh, just out. And um, I just found out today that I believe Apple TV Plus is going to be making it into a TV show, oh, and nice. that is super exciting. Cool. Um, but if so- Sarah Mankind isn't enough for you, Hello Tomorrow also on Apple TV Plus is really really good. It's like what the night what the fifties could have been if we did get to the moon, and then all the shysters and the hucksters that would come out. Uh, for that one too. I, that's just a, it's, I never thought that a real estate, uh, a fraud case uh, on yeah. the moon could be as exciting as it was in that, in that, uh, uh, in that story. So I would highly recommend that one. Yeah. I remember the trailer coming out for that and I haven't got around to watching it. Also, I didn't know about the Murderbot series. So thank you for bringing up. That was, I just did a bit of Googling and that was written by Martha Wells. So I'll keep an eye out for that. And uh, if any of our listeners want to check that out that's the murderbot series by martha wells so i think that's probably a good time to wrap up our review uh with you two but we'll be back next week for our 2024 preview you're listening to the space and things podcast with dave carney and emily giles dave, dave giles and emily carney well, after that discussion, Emily, all I can say is, hasn't it been a year? I know it has. It's weird because I was just thinking that today. I'm like, 2023 just started, and then I'm like, wait a minute, nope, it's it's December, it's late December. But yeah, it's just nuts. But a lot, a lot of good things have happened this year, as evidenced by you know what we just talked about with the broad and Tariq. So I really liked Osiris Rex. I thought that was really cool. That kind of brought everybody together for a moment. Starship was really cool, but, you know, it's kind of 
it was cool, but it was kind of just polarizing because people, even though every mission has gotten incrementally better and better and better, the detractors out there are, are pretty vociferous about it. So whatever. Bring on 2024, but I'm really excited about the things that have happened, you know, during this year. Obviously, the ISS has been continually, continually crewed. They're always doing experiments up there. They, they found the tomatoes. And they found the tomatoes that they lost. Yeah. <laughs> Big story, that. Big They're story. Little, yeah, I know. I was on my, um, every week I try to look at my Google News feed because I, I always have stories that I can use for this show and stuff. And that was one of the biggest ones this week, which I was like, it's yeah, just it's crazy. Two desiccated looking little tomatoes from the ISS. It's like the top <laughs> story. And I was like, this is crazy to me. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. Space dried tomatoes coming to a grocery store near you. <laughs> anyway, I think it's been a great year for space flight. A few things that we didn't mention in that interview. ESA's Euclid satellite, which was launched in July to study dark matter and dark energy. That's a mission I'm really excited to start seeing some, some results from. ESA also launched the JU spacecraft to explore Jupiter and its icy moons. We spoke to someone about that earlier in the year. And again, when we start seeing images from that, that's going to be amazing. The Indian space program has really come to the forefront with some huge successes, including landing on the moon. As we mentioned many times, is not easy. So the fact that they did it, you know, the Russians tried this year and they, they failed. So uh, yeah, great news for the Indian Space Agency. Uh, Rod briefly mentioned the Psyche spacecraft, which is a NASA mission to an asteroid. And while we're talking about asteroids, NASA's Lucy spacecraft also performed a flying, uh, a fly past rather of an asteroid called 152830 Dinkinesh, which turned out to be a binary pair so loads of really cool stuff also in human space flight we had a new record uh in may 20 people are in space at the same time 11 on the iss three on Tiangong, which is the chinese space station and six on a virgin galactic suborbital flight so uh, not all in orbit but actually a few days later there was a record number of people in orbit as well which was 17 as there was a crew tra uh, transfer on Tiangong which meant there were six crew members on board there as well as the 11 on the ISS space tourism is of course thriving now the Axiom 2 crew was part of those 11 people on the ISS which broke those records and we've seen i think six virgin galactic suborbital flights which is pretty cool uh, there's been plenty of launches this year a, a new record, again, another new record for the most launches in a calendar year by a single country. Uh, the previous record was 108 held by the Soviet Union in 1982. And obviously with all these in amazing SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket launches that we're seeing, that's been smashed by America. I think they're up to 111 at the moment as we record. Uh, SpaceX also complete, completed their 200th successful booster landing. And anyone who's seen one of those things knows... They're beautiful, and it always feels like we're living in a future we could never dream of when you see those kind of things. Plenty of new companies gaining some success too. Relativity Space's 3D-printed rocket, the Turan-1, had a good first launch. Didn't quite make it all the way, but showed a lot of promise. And Firefight Alpha made a successful flight in September for the US Space Force as well. Globally, there's there's been about 200 orbital launches this year. There's been 11 failures, but space is hard. It, it's important to remember that there have been 11 failures as we go forward that it's not as easy as sometimes spacex make it look we've also had 15 spacewalks or evas always performed in a pair but plenty of people getting outside the spacecraft to perform some work which is nice 
less good news. Virgin Orbit has folded as a company. I think uh, Astra is struggling as well, but they may be coming back. They maybe have a been repackaged somehow or refinanced somehow. Uh, and then also there's the the, the humans as well. We, we've lost some real greats and, and giants and heroes this year, including three Apollo legends, Walt Cunningham right at the start of this year, Ken Matterly and Frank, Frank Borman in two weeks, as we've mentioned before. And yes, I'm already getting wound up by the lack of respect being shown to our space heroes in any end of year reviews, which I've read, which talk about people we've lost this year. Uh, I've not seen a single mention of Frank Borman. How, how does Frank Borman not end up on a list of historical figures that have passed away this year? I just don't One know. One of the first people to circumnavigate the moon. <laughs> and the commander of it as well. And the commander of that, yeah. Yeah, it really does wind me up. And I know it shouldn't, but I think some of these people definitely deserve more respect than they're given globally. Anyway, uh, that's a long list from me. You got anything else, Emily? Yep. Briefly, also, in 2023, we had some really uh, awesome space flight anniversaries as well. We had the 40th anniversary of uh, Sally Ride's flight. Uh, we had the uh, 50th anniversary of, of Skylab, basically. Uh, Never heard of it. The entire... Uh, right? <laughs> um, and we're coming up this week on the 55th, which is crazy to me, uh, anniversary of Apollo 8 as well. Yeah. So um, next year... Uh, is we're also going to have a lot of cool space anniversaries that I can think of, but we will cover that in the next episode. So absolutely, yeah, we've got um, we've got Tarek and Rod with us next week as well as we look forward to 2024. But as always, do check out the show notes for any social links for Rod and Tarek, and also uh, if you're a member of our Patreon page, you can get the full interview, including an advanced view look at what's going to be in next week uh, by heading over to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash space and things. Hello, everybody. This is Fat Bobby Lousman, and I'm here to say thank you for listening. So, Emily, what has caught your eye in spaceflight this week? We talked a little bit about it in the interview portion, but Taters! Uh, <laughs> for those of you who are like, who the hell is Taters? A video featuring a cat named Taters, an orange cat that probably has one brain cell, has been returned from nearly 19 million miles away by NASA's Laser Communications Demonstration, which is a historic milestone. So I'll keep this brief, but NASA's Deep Space Optical Communications Experiment aboard, I believe, the spacecraft Psyche uh, beamed an ultra-high-definition streaming video on December 11th from 19 million miles away, 80 times the Earth-Moon distance. This is actually part of a bigger initiative, uh, basically to make uh, communications in space quicker and more efficient and probably more accessible as well as humanity starts to stretch out to deep space targets, you know, as we go further out into the solar system or as in the high frontier, as Gerard K. O'Neill would have said. And another thing that's kind of cute, um, this is from the JPL uh, press release. This is also a historic link. As some of you may know, uh, in the 20s, a statue of Felix the Cat, a popular cartoon character, a little black and white kitty, was featured in a television test broadcast transmissions. And obviously, as we know nowadays, cats rule the internet. Cats rule the <laughs> world. If you watch the video, there's some very classy sounding hold music in the background as well. It's just <laughs> a thing. It's just the thing of beauty. So go check it out. But it is uh, deceptively historical. I think <laughs> deceptively in the fact that it, it's... <laughs> It's just a orange 
It's a, an orange cat who probably eats lasagna who has one brain cell. But I love them. So, Taters, you saved 2023. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> it's great marketing as well, isn't it? It is. It is. It's marvelous. So, Dave, what has caught your eye in spaceflight this last week? Okay. Uh, big story in the UK. We're set to get our first vertical rocket launches in Scotland after a license has been granted to the Zaxa Ford spaceport up in a very remote part of Scotland. By the end of next year, we should have some vertical launches. That The license is up for up to 30 launches a year, uh, which will make it also the first vertical launch spaceport in Western Europe able to deliver payloads to orbit. So there's a lot of cool things about this. Uh, it's owned by a husband and wife, Frank and Debbie Strang. It's a, on a former RAF base um, and will cater for companies looking to launch satellites into polar and sun synchronous orbits. Uh, there's a couple of German co- companies who are hoping to carry out launches next year from this spaceport, which is it's cool. It's really cool that we're going to have vertical launches in this country. So that's really cool. Uh, and a second thing that has caught my eye this week our friends in the Space Boffins podcast released their podcast this week. Their monthly, they have a monthly podcast. We had them on earlier this year, Richard and Sue. And this month they have a previously unreleased full interview with Frank Borman. Wow. That's amazing. That's awesome. I got to go listen to that myself. I listened to it last night. It was from a few years back. Richard interviewed him about Apollo 8 and it's exactly what you want it from awesome. Frank. It's, it's all no nonsense and great one-liners about doctors and NASA and uh, which is really really amazing. Yeah, worth listening to. So I will put a link to that in the in the show notes as well because you could never have too much Frank Borman in your life. Awesome, agreed. What happens when a musician and a writer get together to make a podcast? Space and things. Okay, that's it for this week. Next week, we've got our 2024 preview, which, as I said earlier, will also feature Rod and Tariq. It was recorded on the same day. Uh, We won't have a What's Caught Our Eye in Spaceflight this week section, though, as we're going to have some time off over Christmas. Talking of which, I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season. If you can get some time off yourself, I hope that you enjoy it. Yes, thanks for your continued support as always, and happy holidays to you all. And don't forget, in space, no one can hear you need. Space and Things Podcast with new episodes every Thursday.